0: This is Hacker Public Radio episode, 3358 for Wednesday, the 16th of June 2021. Ted's show is entitled, Blastem, a wicked awesome Sega Genesis Mega Drive emulator. It is hosted by Sigflup, and is about 22 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, this is an interview, with the author of Blastem, a Sega Genesis Mega Drive emulator. Welcome to another episode of Hacker Public Radio. My name is C-Club and uh, this episode is going to, we're going to talk about Blastem, which is this terrific, terrific emulator for the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. We'll be talking to the author of uh, Blastem, and so let's get started. Hey, I'm here with Mike. Mike is author of Blastem, which is a Sega Genesis and Sega Med- Mega Drive uh, emulator. Hi, how you doing, Mike?
2: I'm doing fine. How are you?
0: Oh, pretty good. Um, it's pretty warm here, so that's good. It's usually pretty cold, but the um, yeah. So, how long? Out of curiosity, how long did it take you to write the emulator?
2: Um. Well, I started it way back in uh, 2012.
0: Oh, okay. Uh,
2: so I've been working on it a pretty long time. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a side project, so it's you know a little off and on. Um, oh yeah. I think the first release was roughly a year after I started. Uh, it was pretty rough, though. Uh,
0: oh, okay. Have you written any other emulators? Is this your first one?
2: Uh, sort of. Um, so my first attempt at an emulator was for the, the master system, um, but it wasn't... like I, I got like... I wrote some Z80 emulation code, but at the time, I was pretty young. And I didn't really get most graphics APIs, so I was struggling to like... Yeah. Maybe any of the other parts. Um, And then in college, um, uh, I was talking with Nemesis, who's a, I don't know his real name, but, you know, he's pretty notable in, like, the Sonic hacking community and the Sega Retro community. And um, we had talked about collaborating on a a Dreamcast emulator. Uh, This was probably, like, 2002, 2003, sometime around then. Um, And, uh, I still didn't know too much about graphics API. So like the idea was I would take on the CPU and he was going to work on the GPU stuff. Yeah, um,
0: That's an, that's an SH four. Is it on the Dreamcast? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wrote a, like an interpreter. So, you know, it's probably wouldn't have been fast enough back then since, you know, computers weren't quite as fast in 2002. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, for the SH four and it, it worked well enough to like, there's this one demo that just writes directly to the frame buffer. Uh, Oh, no. Okay. Those like little, little plasma effects. So it was good enough for that. But, but so those are the only two like emulator projects I've worked on before Blast M.
0: Oh Okay, yeah, I found Blast M to be very accurate and, and very speedy, which is it's it's always a compromise, uh, speed versus accuracy. And uh, I've noticed that it plays the Overdrive demos.
2: Uh, yeah, um, those most of those were kind of a pain. Yeah. Um. So yeah. It, in a lot of ways, like, uh, I think, you know, there's definitely a tension between accuracy and speed, but it's sort of more like a triangle where, you know, there's accuracy, speed, and then, like, there's another dimension that's sort of like effort or complexity of the implementation. Oh, um okay. Yes.
0: That, that, that's interesting. Um yeah, erg eight six six is DMA trick. It runs that where you you write you write a uh, um, you make a DMA transfer with an increment of zero from the CRAM to uh, to the to the to the frame like to this picture. So that's I'm amazed that that works. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. The trickiest part about that is. Um, all the factor, the timing factors that get like to make the synchronization part work. Like once it starts, it's pretty simple because yeah. the DMA engine just goes at a certain speed and it replaces the background color. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty easy to get once you know like you know where the refresh cycles are because yeah. that interrupts the, the transfer. Um, but the tricky part is like getting make sure all the things that affect CPU timing are correct, and then. Um, you know, making sure that how that interacts with the, 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 the VDP for, like, the, the synchronization aspect where it, like, fills up the FIFO and is depending on those, you know, external slots being in sort of particular places to yeah. free up the CPU, you know, that was, that was a little tricky. I
0: imagine, I imagine. Um, what did you, how did you debug this? Did, did you have, like, a, a Genesis, like, an EverDrive cart or something like that, I'm wondering? Um because for me, I go through, like, write, test, debug, write, test, debug, that sort of iteration. And I'm, I'm wondering um, what tools you use to to debug things.
2: Yeah, it, it varies quite a bit depending on the problem. Um, yeah. Like, uh, like, the toughest thing to debug in sort of recent memory was um, someone reported that in, like, I think Road Rash 3, when you're in, like, the bike shop menu, yep. um, and you switch between categories, there's, like, this little artifact on the screen. And it's, like, only there for, like, one frame. Okay. And it's, like, so first off, it's, like, this is actually only happening in Blaston. does it happen in the hardware. So it's, like, I had to get, like, my capture card is kind of <laughs> cruddy.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, it doesn't really support 240p properly, so I had to, like, you know, like, do a capture and then pull out you know, de interlace the frame so I could get, because it, it treats it like it's 480i instead of 240p, so it's interlacing it.
0: Yeah.
2: So I, you know, pull the frame back, and it's like, okay, yes, this is not happening. Um, <laughs> and then it's, and so then I'm, like, you know, going, disassembling the game and trying to figure out what it's actually doing during this. And so there's, like, this sort of back and forth between looking at the disassembled code. Yeah. Um, possibly, like, so Blastom has a little debugger built into it. It's not great, but it, generally works for my needs so using that debugger to sort of trace through it and then like sometimes actually you know running the emulator in itself in a debugger sometimes at the same time that i'm using the debugger in the emulator as well (laughs) yeah um and trying to figure out what happened is going on and eventually what became clear is that um you know uh when it does this transition between categories, it's not very careful about when it updates, um, the name table. So, you know, for those that aren't familiar with like the Genesis graphics system, you know, it's like, it's a bunch of little eight by eight tiles and the background layers have like specify which tile they use. And so when it was updating that mapping of which tile is used, it ended up doing it while the dis- in the middle of the display. So basically there was like a race between, um, you know, the updates from the CPU in the display scanning out. Um, yeah. but for some reason on the console this didn't cause the same artifact I was seeing on Blastem, I and the question was why.
0: Yeah.
2: And um I don't remember exactly how I figured this, but eventually it occurred to me that the the main table entries are sixteen bits wide. Yeah. But the the is only eight bits wide, so it can only write half of each entry at a time. Okay. And I'm like, well, wonder, I wonder if it's because it actually is doing the two bytes of the words in the opposite order, which for most things doesn't matter at all, because it's, you know, uh, and it turns out that was that was the problem. Oh, okay. Yeah, it uh, seems
0: it seems hard to, to figure out. I noticed that you have, it does, you um, are doing remote debugging through GDP, or G- GDB.
2: Yeah, I mean, that one, that one isn't so much for me. That was sort of like, um, because generally speaking, when I have a problem, I don't have the source code. I just have, like, a, here's a game or a demo that's, like, a binary. And so I have, you know, so having GDB access isn't super helpful. But, yeah. But for, um, you know, one of the nice things about having an accurate, accurate emulator is that um, when you're developing new code for the Genesis or the Mega Drive, you're more, much more likely to run into the same bugs that you'll run in hardware than, than an inaccurate emulator. So, yeah. And it, it's easier to debug in the emulator than it is on hardware. So... Um, I realized it wouldn't be that hard to take the debugger I already had and then adapt it so it could support gd remote stuff um, okay. so, so that's super useful if you're using you know, SGDK or some other C toolchain um, developed for the, for the Mega Drive
0: yep I, uh, I noticed um, it seems to be very heavy on x86 um, you have files in the source code like uh, m68k to x86 and and, and stuff like that. I'm wondering why is it so dependent on, on X-86?
2: Well, um, so when I, went, when I set off to make Last Am, there were sort of like a few different motivations in mind. So, so one of them was, um, uh, Mir, who used to go by B.U. at the time, wrote this article for Ars Technica about BSNES and, and how, you know, accuracy takes all this power. And I'm like, ah, I'm, you know, typical arrogant programmer stuff. I'm sure I could, I could make it fast and, and accurate. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And I, I, I focus on the Genesis cause that's what I grew up with rather than the, the SNES. Um, so, so partly I wanted to, to, so I wanted to pursue, you know, more advanced techniques that could potentially make it faster and a Dynarec or, or JIT, you know, where you dynamically generate machine code at runtime is yeah. one potential way to do that. I, and also like, I wanted to learn about how those worked. Um, because, like, generally speaking, it's considered not to be worthwhile to do a dynarec or a jit for old CPUs, like you know the model, the original sixty-eight thousand or the, the Z eighty. Yep. Um, but I wanted to learn it anyway, so I figured, well, let me let me try to how to let me try to figure out how to do this. Um, yeah, so I so I wrote a, a dynarec and and. Um, and I didn't use an existing like, code gen library, so I'm doing my own code gen, so if I want to support multiple CPUs, I have to write that code. Yeah. Um, I did try to port to ARM at one point, um, but I think at some point I decided that I wasn't really happy with the way I had written my Dynarec at all, and I was going to sort of put off the whole ARM question until I got around to rewriting the whole thing.
0: Okay. So,
2: so, so yeah. There is actually a branch where I, like, yank out my Dynarex and I, I pulled... Um, Musashi, which is an open source, uh, permissively licensed 68,000 emulator, and the Z80 emulator from from Mame, which I think was relicensed to be BSD as well.
0: Okay.
2: Um, so there's like a there's like sort of like a unsupported branch that that'll run on non x86 CPUs, um, but it's a little janky and it's sort okay. of like a temporary hack until I get around to like doing it properly.
0: Okay. All right. So you're using Mame Z80 Z80 code in your project, is what you're saying?
2: only in this sort of hacky branch. Oh, okay. So if you go down if you go download the official releases of Blastn, they'll be using my my Dynarex um that I wrote.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm noticing like Z80.cpu which looks like a machine machine description and so um, yeah. I I assume so, that you wrote a parser for that too, to, to 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 do your thing.
2: Yeah. So so I, like part of like so sort of what I'm thinking for like replacing my Dynarex is I want to have like some kind of domain-specific language that describes how the CPU works, and then I want to generate both an interpreter and a dynerex from that one description.
0: Yep, sounds good. Um,
2: and um, for those that aren't familiar with like with with Dynarecs, it's like, why would you need an interpreter too? And and the answer is, is, generally speaking, like generating code and then executing it is slower than than just interpreting it. Yes. Um, and so. You know, it's helpful to have both, so that you can for code that's only run once or twice. You can run it through the interpreter, and then run code that runs lots of bunch time. You can you can translate it. Okay. My my dialect doesn't have that right now, um, which sometimes causes prob- causes some performance problems. But um,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. So that, that's sort of the idea with the Z80 CPU. It's supposed to be a DSL. Um, so it works well enough that I, I have a ZED implementation that works. I started on a 68K one, but it's not done. Oh, okay. Um, and right now it only generates an interpreter. It doesn't generate a Dynarex, so...
0: Oh, okay. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember where I heard this from, but GCC um, uses machine description. It's the C parser and the machine description parser. And they kind of meet up where the tree, like the parse tree, matches which is kind of interesting, but uh, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, so, okay, so you're using an interpretive, um, 68,000 in your, in the version right now, right?
2: Uh, no. So, so so like the stable release, there's a Dynarek for the Z eighty and the Dynarek for for the 68,000, but it's x86 only. Okay. Now there's this branch called main interp, um, which uses the new Z80 core. It used to use the MAME Z80 core. I, I misspoke earlier. I, yep. I and mean, it uses Musashi, which MAME also uses for 68000 Yeah, that's Masashi. That's what, of, I was,
0: that's what I was thinking about Masashi. Okay, go, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so that's only in this sort of MAME, this weird MAME interp branch. Um, okay. You know, so, so if you want to build for ARM, you have to use this sort of funky branch that I only update sometimes. Um, but the, the main releases are still using my, the Dynarex that I wrote okay. for both CPUs. Cool
0: beans. Um, how is uh how is the twenty six twelve? How is emulating for that?
2: You know, it's. I think the most painful part is that it's like just the audio emulation in general. Oh, it's it's hard hard to know what's wrong when something is wrong, out, right?
0: Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I I completely agree.
2: Like you know, okay, if it's graphics, it's like okay, here's. This, you know, this area, like, these pixels look wrong, right? So it's like, well, I can say what layer generated those pixels pretty easily. Yep. And, you know, what part of the, you know. Um,
0: for, for everyone listening, the, the 2612 is the YM2612. It's the sound chip in the Psychogenesis, which is a six channel FM chip. But the, yeah, so, so debugging that, when something's wrong, it's really hard to figure out where it's coming from. Is yeah. what you're saying? I
2: mean, yeah, yeah. It's really it's really tough to debug. I mean, fortunately, a lot of the hard stuff was figured out by the time I started. So, um... Uh, Nemesis, who I mentioned before, if we were, you know, originally we were going to collab on that Dreamcast simulator a long time ago. Um, yeah. He was also working on another, an accurate uh, genesis simulator called Exodus. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I think I must have missed it at, at the time when I was deciding to start Blast them, but... Um, Anyway, so he did a bunch of reverse engineering work, and I I, I really benefited a lot from all the work he did. Um, I mean, I had to do a bunch of reverse engineering myself, but it, it definitely saved me a lot of all the work he did saved me a lot of time, especially on the YMc six one two. I mean, the documentation is like hard to like go through because it's basically there's this giant thread on on this uh, forum called Sprites Mind. Yep. And it's like I don't know, like 200 pages or something, and there's. <laughs> I had to go through all the pages and, like, bookmark the ones that actually had, like, real info. And then sometimes, like, you know, a few pages later, it's like, oh, wait, that was all wrong. Here's the real...
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Uh,
2: yeah, and then and then there was still some stuff that was broken that I couldn't figure out. And so I ended up making this little program that basically, for each parameter, it would iterate through all the settings. Um you know, and I compared a recording of that running on the real hardware to it running on my emulator, and it's like, okay, at this particular point when I change this setting, this—that's when it gets messed up. Um,
0: yeah,
2: and I fixed a lot of issues for that. Um, okay. Yeah, and I've since then I've occasionally there's a couple of attempts to to look at like like a, a photograph of the the silicon die and, and reverse engineer the chip from that. Um, okay. So in Spritesman there's like I don't know how to pronounce his username, it's like Sorayan or something like that. He made a, um, uh, I think a VHDL or Verilog, which are hardware description languages um, yes. implementation of just the operator unit.
0: Oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. And,
2: and then this Russian developer um, goes by uh, NukeYT or Nuke I'm not sure how, uh, Yeah. he made like sort of a I guess it could be, she, I'm not sure, I know their pronouns, but whichever. Um, They made a, uh, like, sort of like a very literal, like, C translation of the hardware. Um, Okay. So I've I've used both of those as reference occasionally to find, like, the last, you know, some of the last few bugs. It's still not 100% perfect. I've got to actually, I've got a couple couple bugs I still need to track down. Um, But it's in pretty good shape now.
0: Okay. Cool. Are there um, are there any games or uh, cartridges or ROMs or whatever that uh, you are working on right now? Like what what's your what's the compatibility rate now uh, nowadays? Is it close to one hundred percent or what What do you think?
2: It should be pretty close to one hundred percent. I think probably the biggest issue. There's a few games that you need certain peripherals to use. Like, I don't have any light gun support, just because I haven't gotten around to it. Um, yeah. And so, for instance, like, the Menacer 6 game cartridge, you can't play that at all, unless you have a light gun attached. Oh, yeah. um, so, so that doesn't really work. Um, a game, I, I've been collecting carts, you know, since I started this project, and I, I one game I randomly picked up, uh, I think it's, like, Championship Bowling or something, okay. I might have an issue. I have to verify that I, I, I dumped it correctly, and that I'm just not misunderstanding how the game works, but it seemed like it froze up, so that, um... But but other than stuff like that, it's pretty close to 100%. Um, I actually just, uh, this is not released yet, but, uh, I've recently added support for a very rare game called Outback Joey, which has this, uh, goofy exercise peripheral that's required to make it run. Okay. Um... Yeah, so that was that's probably the latest game that I've I've made work, Uh, and that's not fully released though. It's it's sort of in the nightlies. Not that anybody has the dumps yet.
0: Okay. the The thing I like about the Sega Genesis is it's just ROMs. It's it's not like the Nintendo where you have ROMs and they have mappers and stuff like that. So you don't have to emulate different cartridges. Um, Oh, what's the what's the graphics cartridge with the graphics chip? Um, Virtual Racer or something like that.
2: Yeah, Virtua Racing. I, that's another game I don't support because I haven't, I haven't got finished emulating The, the SVP chip, which is like a DSP, that's in the cart.
0: Oh, okay. All right, cool. Well, um, yeah. do you have anything that uh, you want to say to the the people of Hacker Public Radio? Um,
2: <laughs> happy to talk to everyone. Uh, yeah uh, has been a very rewarding project to work on. Uh, I, I hope it's it's useful for people in the future. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so the website is retrodev.com slash blastem. Is that correct? Yep, okay. all right.'ll that'll be in the show notes. and uh, yeah, thank you for thank you for the interview.
1: Thank you.